Why is Heritage Radio Network important to you? HRN is very nostalgic to go into because it's really the only place that you have this really warm, homey experience to watch people get together and talk about the things that really make a difference. It's really fun when I ask guests, do you want to be on Heritage? And they're like, Alberta's yes, 100%. I believe that we all are really trying to bring people together. I think getting more people excited about good, local, well-crafted food and away from big ag and tasteless commodity food is so important. It's kind of an honor to be sitting there with so many, in a space where so many other people have sat. Join HRN's vibrant community of thoughtful eaters. Become a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. Hello and welcome to Why Food, uh, the last episode of this season's Why Food, a podcast about entrepreneurs, innovators, career changers. I'm your co-host, Ethan Frisch, and sadly, Valerie is uh, not with us this week. She's having fun with her family in Louisiana, and I'm sure cooking up a storm. Uh, but I am really excited to introduce you to Waldy Reyes, who is a, a chef, caterer, uh, escapee of the fashion industry. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, escapee. Yeah, I, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so, Waldy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Um, so, let's just start with a little bit about what you're doing now. Yep. Tell us about your catering company and your yep. cooking style, and then we'll kind of roll the cool. tape back and, and talk about your career. Cool. Um, so, my name is Waldy. I'm a queer POC chef. I own a catering company called Waldy Cucina, that, where we modernize Filipino food that's seasonal, fresh, vibrant, and exciting. So, good food, good vibes. Um, yeah, that's where I am. Like, I own a catering company that's amazing in Brooklyn, and we cater to a lot of New York City, well-heeled people. Um, yeah. And what would you What would you say are your signature dishes, or or dishes that define your style? My style of food is very seasonal and hyper vegetable forward and focused. Um, it's very colorful. I like to use um, interesting vegetables like. Purple Ninja Radish. Uh, I used I like to use like uh, uh, Kyoto carrots. All the things that like are interesting, but sort of like people know, but something that's new. And I source a lot of like amazing vegetables through Natura because they have an amazing array of different interesting vegetables. So um, and I try to also bring sort of my Filipino food culture into it, just a tad, but. Uh, for the catering purposes. But when I do it for my personal projects, I really like try to remember what I had as a kid and making it sort of modern. Um, and, and can you tell us a little bit about what life is like for a caterer in New York City? There are, <laughs> there are a lot of catering companies, and I think people are more familiar with the, the beautiful spread that, yes. that appears on a table, but maybe don't know a whole lot about the backstory. Catering is a full-on production. Like, you're a <laughs> restaurant on wheels. You, you, you kind of take care of basically everything and anything, from, like, staffing to, like, 
plateware to utensils to linen napkins to the food to the beverage like you basically like restaurant on wheels and you're catering a really great um entertaining you know party for someone or a dinner or a cocktail party so it, it there's a lot of details that goes into it and i like every um step of it but it's just it's you have to have a lot of like energy but when i get into it my adrenaline kicks in and then like you're doing like managing servers to like set the table to like managing the back of the house kitchen staff to like get the food ready so every part of it is like interesting and such a production but it's a lot of hard work it's a lot of schlepping but at the end of the day the the reward for me is like when the client says like that was the best meal I've ever had that was the beautiful spread that you sort of displayed on my table so that's the gratification for me where they're ha- they're satisfied or they were well taken care of and and your uh, fairly recent uh, arrival to the food scene you yes. had, uh, you had many years in in fashion in various positions yes um i I graduated college and with a major major in hotel restaurant management. After that, I moved to New York. I didn't pursue hospitality. I pursued fashion because I, I needed to to see where this could go. Um, what was what was it about fashion that interested? I don't you? know. I just like to wear clothes, so <laughs> I'm just like that was kind of like I like clothes. So like let's see what this is about. Sure. Um, so I you know worked in various areas of the fashion industry. You know, I interned at PRs and creative ag- agencies and then worked at a magazine. Um, it, it was very interesting. It was very humbling to learn all the areas of where I've gotten the opportunity to, like, work with amazing people. Um, but I knew that food was somewhere in me to to tap into later but like I just needed to get something out of my system and see where this could go um it didn't for me it didn't go the how I envisioned it but I when I get into a kitchen like there is a different um feeling and I'm like creating and and that's kind of like where there's the joy to it so was that joy missing in, in your job? Yes, what, yes. What was different from what you expected? What do you mean? Well, you said you said you had certain expectations for the fashion. I, I think like you, you know, like ten years ago, it's like I was like seeing what everybody was doing there, 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 and I was trying to, um, trying to do what they were doing. But when I was doing it, it wasn't feeling. I didn't feel the gratification of it. Um, but when I was starting to do my own thing, like cooking and food, like. I felt joy to it. So that was missing. So like the joy, the happiness, the creativity of making something, um, cooking something was mean, more meaningful than, you know, putting a dress on a model. Yeah. No no offense to that. Like, that's <laughs> great. But for me, it was like, okay, go. You're already on set. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've had a few other guests who've had a, a similar combination of backgrounds who... Uh, started in fashion, or mm-hmm. uh, we had a journalist on a, f- a few months ago who uh-huh. started writing about fashion and then now writes about food. Amazing. Um, and it, to me, it does seem like there is a, a little bit of an overlap in that tension between uh, creativity and and repetition or mm-hmm. manufacturing, right? Like mm-hmm. ultimately, whether you're, a fa- I mean, not having been a fashion designer myself, I can't speak to that side of it, yeah. but definitely yeah. as a, having worked as a line cook, 
you go into it thinking you're going to have a lot of creative control. You're going to get mm. to make dishes, whatever you want. And then it turns out, actually, no, you're, you're, a, you're just a line You're chef. just a line cook. Yeah, so you're yeah. just producing somebody else's dish mm-hmm. a thousand mm-hmm. times a night. And, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but there is uh, often a disconnect between yes. the expectation and the reality. Yes. So how have you found that across both of, uh, both of the career paths th- that you've worked in? I think, like, in, in fashion, I was, like, obviously doing somebody else's, like, you know, like, if I'm doing into styling, that's, you know, that's the stylist, like, idea and concept. Like, yeah, and I'm, in, I'm assisting that person. and But I know I can do it better than that person. But then, like, uh, I don't know. But there's also, like, the, 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 the environment was a little bit different for me. It's, like, as opposed to food where I started just to cook for myself and then I started to cook for other people and they were pleased by it. So... I have more of a control and I'm making the decisions. So um, there's, and then there's also more of a, you know, food has more of like a human connection there as opposed to like, you know, um, putting a, a dress on a mannequin or anything like that. Yeah. So um, there's a more of like, there's a purpose there. Like there's a, you're, you're feeding, you're nourishing somebody. Um, that's kind of like where I feel like, Oh, I, I'm. This is the purpose that I'm doing. Like I'm nourishing somebody. Yeah. So how how did you go about making the switch? What was was there a moment where you this, realized, or how did you go through so that? So when I started my uh, catering company a couple of years ago, I was in the midst of um, not, uh, So when I started my catering company, it started to pick up more, and then I was working for a designer and where they were happy to like let me you know pursue my other new career path and and it got to a point where like I'm working a lot more in catering and food and so that's kind of like where all right well I'm gonna take this huge risk and just basically quit fully out of fashion and go pursue this new journey that I'm going to embark on and didn't know what's going to happen. Um, a couple of years ago, I was like waiting for the next job to come. And then I had so much free time. And then <laughs> that was kind of like scary. Um, but now, like a couple of years later, present day, I'm getting, you know, catering requests on a daily, which is like, wow, people actually like what I'm doing. And which is gratifying. I'm like, wow, like, before I was like waiting on an email for a catering gig and then now I'm like refresh, refresh, refresh. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So, um, which has been very, I'm blessed to that this has, it's gotten me to this position where like I'm getting, I don't have to say yes to that one. Um, and say no, I don't. Yeah, exactly. How has that happened? How did you, how did you build the network or the, um, the the network definitely came through fashion. Like I, when I said to everybody, like all my colleagues and my friends, I was like, you know, I'm making a career, like I'm changing careers. I'm like, I'm going to go into cooking. And then, um, you know, I started catering for like a few friends, like bridal showers and then like one thing led to another like you know um they tell their friends and then and you know some of my friends were in public relations and they do events a lot so that's kind of like where oh my friends like would you want to cater this and like yeah sure i'll make i'll i'll do it and then just to get my foot in the door wherever catering would lead me to so um that was um and as slowly as i you know did you know these press events where they needed food um people started to notice like 
who did the, the who did the spread. And I'm like, oh, it's my friend Woldy of Woldy Cuisina, and then that was kind of like it. It slowly progressed, and more people know know about it. And then um, that's kind of like how um, where people are starting to notice me in the catering world or in food. Could you could you tell us uh, the story of your first catering gig or one of oh, your first? Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the first one and I laugh at this because I it's, I remember it very vividly it was during the client told it was for um, a post wedding um, brunch so it was the day after you know the wedding and the reception and everybody was going to this person's apartment in Flatiron and the client did tell me before oh are you going to be okay to get here on that Sunday? And it didn't dawn on me until like that day that it was the day of the New York City Marathon. And I, you know, produced and cooked all the food in my apartment and I lived in Clinton Hill, Brooklyn. And I was driving down the street on Fulton going from Clinton Hill to Fort Greene. And then I noticed like there was a cop on the street like starting to move the barricade. I'm like, what? what's going on and then basically like you said he said he directed everybody to go the other route and then I was like driving down like I needed to get to the Manhattan Bridge and then um I noticed all the roads that I needed to get across to was barricaded I'm like shit what the how am I supposed to cross over to the other side to get to um to manhattan and i was like freaking out and this is the first time like i've driven around in brooklyn so i didn't really know how to like figure out another way to get over the other side so i literally like called my boyfriend and said what am i supposed to do like i don't know like i'm driving like a rented car and said like just I was didn't know at that moment what to do, but I just knew that like I just needed to park the car and take the subway. So I unloaded all the stuff out of my car and then had my boyfriend go down to the uh, stairs of the subway, take the C or a, the C train, and had all the food schlepped into the subway. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I was like having a panic attack. I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, how like like how am I supposed to get here? And so, but luckily I took the subway and then I got out of the train and then took the cab and then um, got to the flatter. I was I was late and then um, I had asked a friend to do be a server. He shows up late. He shows up with a hickey. I'm like, what the <laughs> heck are you? What? Why? Why? And then I was like juggling all of this. And luckily, um, the the guests arrived an hour late because obviously it's the day after the wedding. But like. Um, it was just that one, that first big gig that I did was like, I didn't get there on time because I'm a, a person that always arrived on time or earlier. And then just, just slept everything down to the subway card, a subway. It was like, uh, a, it was a slap. And then having my friend have a hickey, I'm like, no, that's not right. <laughs> Wear a scarf. So that's how all your gigs have gone since then. Every, every one of them feels like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yes, basically, but no, not not anymore. But like, I I perfected how to 
to leave on time knowing the traffic and all that yeah. stuff. So, um, yeah, that was the first time. There's this crazy choreography that I feel like entrepreneurs, and particularly food entrepreneurs in New York, develop the ways that you move things around. Like, you, you develop these very specific... I used to, when I still stored my spices in my apartment, or in, I would, you know, like bring stuff down, stage it in the basement, go get the car, pull it around, leave the car outside, run back and forth yes. from inside to outside to load up the car to get to a market to yes. be there on time. Like you, <laughs> yes. you come up with these crazy yeah. systems that the rest of the country, I, I think people don't understand uh, the, the extent to which you, you have to bend over backwards yes, to make these exactly. things Yes, exactly. Oh my God. There's, I mean, there's a million like horror stories <laughs> of catering and, you know, trying to find parking in the city is very difficult and you take a risk of parking your car and then you're hoping that your car won't get towed because you need you need to make this delivery yep. and then you're you're also in constant battle with like the the the, the people who's operating the service elevator i'm like i'm just trying to make a delivery yeah. please work with me and i'm like uh yeah i mean it's just so you highly recommend that people start catering companies um if you have the stomach for it and also be very organized yes you can but um just to forewarn you um it's it's so it's a it's very grueling um labor intensive but there's a lot of joy to it and joy um, another thing that that you've sort of become known for is is the way that you express your identity through mm. cooking and you've yes. done that in a number of different ways which which we'll talk about but um tell us a little bit about what your your food memories are from your childhood or, or what you grew up eating uh i so i am a f- born american filipino um i was um, my parents are two immigrants from the Philippines. I'm first generation American, I'm American, and I grew up a lot of eating my grandmother's Filipino f- cooking and my parents making Filipino food. That was like the only thing I remember eating. And you I grew mean, up in LA. I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Los Angeles. Uh, this small little suburb city called Walnut, California. It's not Walnut Creek. It's Walnut, California. Um, it was 25 minutes outside of. Um, downtown Los Angeles. Uh, house all looked the same. Um, it was very car culture. Like you go to malls. But I do remember eating a lot of Filipino food. But also eating a lot of Filipino food, but it was kind of embarrassing because obviously I wanted to eat like the, what the rest of the kids were eating, like PB&J, which, you know, I love PB&J, but I didn't get that um, packed in my lunchbox. I got packed like rice and adobo, which, you know, it sounds way better than PB&J. <laughs> but, you know, I think also it's like I, 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 I have a hearing problem. I, I, I'm, I'm actually deaf in one ear. And um, so gro- like growing up, I had to wear a hearing aid, which kids could physically see and then when I was in classrooms I had to wear um, this machinery on my body to and then hooked to my ears and then the teachers would have to wear um, a microphone and I felt what this, did the machinery look like it was um, uh, it's very hard to, so it's like a it's kind of like um, basically the size of an iPhone and then strapped to your um, chest and then it and then you wear these cords, basically like the headphone, but not headphones, but like it goes to your ear and it's molded the to your ear. It's basically, yeah, kind of, yeah, kind of like this, but different. And then uh, you wear a strap, and it was brown, um, and it was just like, and then you turn it on, and then the teacher can speak through a microphone. They would wear like. Um, a microphone on their chest and then when you speak to it you can hear them speak um and then if other kids have to go 
speak to you, that microphone had to go to them. So I didn't, I wasn't, I felt not normal like the rest of the kids who would just basically could hear freely and um and so how did how do you socialize how do you talk to friends or i someone who's not wearing a microphone i um you know i was isolated i i felt like i was isolated because like i i it was it wasn't really like um i don't know like this the the physical thing that i'm wearing was kind of like a barrier to me and it didn't allow me to like be who I truly wanted it to be until like you know like today and like I embrace the disability that I have uh I embrace also like that at the fact that I'm queer I embrace that I'm POC but like back then I didn't embrace like the name my name being different my you know being queer like I didn't know the word at the time but like you know being queer and I was embarrassed by like the food that I was eating and also like I remember vividly that my dad would make this goat stew in the backyard of our house with the fire pit outside that was embarrassing because like what is my dad doing cooking a goat stew in her backyard and the next door neighbor is just cooking some barbecue but like we have the stew on in our backyard smoking up smelling sizzling garlic up in the air but now look back and looking back on it it was like that was kind of amazing it was being different was i think now like fuck if i was you know had the confidence now going back like being a kid i probably like really fully embrace it but you know you're just trying to fit trying to fit in at that time well and you found ways to embrace it now i mean beyond yes. the goats do in particular mm-hmm. Uh, t- tell us the story about the goat so, stew. Um, so I did this goat stew during Pride Table, which is um, by StoryCourse. They do this sort of like dining, theatrical um, dinner. Uh, and this past year, this in celebration of Stonewall 50 years, they did Pride Table where they um, had five LGBTQ chefs to tell their story through food and how they came out uh, and and each chef had a single dish, right? Yes, each chef had a single dish, and my dish was the Filipino goat stew. My interpretation of it. Um, so I made this goat stew that had um, cooked traditionally not in what my dad would make, but like I wanted to be sort of like how I would eat it today. Um, it had a lot of fire roasted ginger. It had a lot of jalapenos. It had gochugan. Clearly, gochugan is not in the traditional Filipino dish, but I like enjoy gochugan. So it brought more like sweetness and and warming notes. So um, and then it had I, traditionally when you eat Filipino goat stew or caldereta kambing, you eat it with rice. Um, so but I was trying to intellectualize it and be like a chefy person uh, and put like crispy rice paper and represent it as uh, a barrier to 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 my dish and obviously it's a metaphor to like when you break that rice paper you um it it comes um you are embraced by this warm bowl of goat stew that's sort of sweet and spicy and um complex just like who i am today and what did the barrier represent um barrier is basically represented like me being queer me being um embarrassed by the food that i was eating up growing up and then also like the physical like disability that i have like i'm wearing also um a thing that helps me hear that was when i what what i was wearing in school to help me hear and how did you uh, choose the goat stew in particular how was that the dish that you um decided it to? was the dish that my father would always make um 
for large family gatherings. It could be weddings, it could be graduation. Um, and I remember going to, like my brothers and I would go with my father to a goat farm and then he would then, you know, talk to the farmer and then select the goat and we actually got to watch it get it slaughtered and then he, it would be in a black plastic bag and then we would go back home and then my dad would just make this huge stew in our backyard with a fire pit that's in our backyard and it would be like cooking for like a day and a half or two days um so it was a process and i was like i would go in my parents bedroom and go look at the window and like shaking my head like what and then but but it was so good when you actually do eat it but like again being embarrassed by like what was going on but um now looking back my dad is not here with us anymore but it was uh pretty awesome that he was what he was doing um and that kind of reminded me of why i did that filipino goat stew called it at the kambing and what was the what was it like collaborating or just working alongside the other chefs um it was Amazing. I've, you know, I've never worked with other like chefs and um, being able to be in the room of different identities, like could be um, trans or, um, you know, like all LGBTQ, like every, like every section of and label there was very inspiring. Um, it was a lot of hard work, but uh, there was a lot of great um friendship that was formed in there so uh it was definitely an experience i enjoyed every minute of it um and you get to see like the different stories that they were telling and it was very moving um you know like melissa santiago who's a chef and she told her story of her transitioning and um also listening to martin boyce who chef martin boyce who was in stonewall when it happened so and he paved the way like where like we can live sort of freely like for queer people or lgbtq people um and it's it from 50 years ago from where we are today you can actually walk out the door and not be so in new york but not feel so ashamed and being things being thrown at you where martin had to experience you know um being embarrassed and shamed um so yeah yeah we're gonna take a, a two-minute break we'll be back stay tuned you listen to heritage radio network because let's face it you have really good taste. You care about where your food comes from, who made it, and its impact on the planet. Whether you're looking for an inspiring interview with your favorite celebrity chef, the latest on Dave Arnold's Spins All, or if you want to get down and dirty with some agricultural policy, we've got you covered. 10 years in and 13,000 episodes later, HRN continues to be the go-to media outlet for thoughtful eaters like you. And we never could have done it without the support of our listeners. Help Food Radio continue in the future and help us raise enough funds for the year to come. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate today. And since you've got such good taste, we have some very cool member gifts for you to choose from. 
Thanks for listening and for being a part of the HRN community. This episode is brought to you by Fair Kitchens. The food service industry faces a challenge. More people are eating out, yet restaurants are losing talent. Why is this? Research by Fair Kitchens reveals a serious well-being issue within professional kitchens. 74% of chefs are sleep deprived to the point of exhaustion. 63% of chefs feel depressed and more than half feel pushed to the breaking point. This can't be ignored. Fair Kitchens is a movement based on the belief that a positive kitchen culture makes for a healthier business. By taking the pledge to be a Fair Kitchen, they'll provide you with free information, tools, and resources to help you take action towards making your restaurant more stable, productive, and happy, which positively affects the guest experience. It's time to act now. Learn about the Fair Kitchens code and join the movement at fairkitchens.com. And we're back. You're listening to Why Food, and we're joined this week by Waldi Reyes, who is a chef and founder of Waldi Cocina, an amazing catering company. We were just talking before the break about uh, the interplay of food and identity. Uh, and so I wanted to move to the next chapter of, of that mm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. combination in your career. Uh, you're going to be launching a, a series of Come on Dinners yes. at the Maid Hotel. Yes. Um, Tell us about that. Yes. I'm really excited that um, we... So it's myself and um, page, gluten-free pastry chef Lonnie Holiday, a Buddhist bake shop, and... Uh, where she's going to be creating a beautiful dessert for the Kamayan dinner. We're both hosting uh, a veggie-forward modern interpretation of Kamayan dinner. Kamayan means like eating with your hands, and uh, a Kamayan feast that we're doing is basically dishes that serve on laid out on banana leaf, and everybody eats with their hands. Um, so we're making this sort of cultural experience at fair with Ferris with Chef. Uh, Tyler Heckman and uh, Charles Setch. I'm probably butchering his last name. Um, and we're doing it at the rooftop of Good Behavior at Maid Hotel starting January 21st. Um, and it's going to be it's basically a departure of like um, the way usually Westerners eat with utensils, but we're eating strictly with um, our hands and there's going to be like a hand washing ritual um, and this is basically a nod to like Filipino food that I grew up eating but more veggie forward um, so and modern. What are some traditional command dinner dishes and how are you changing them? So some of the um, so I'm doing adobo uh, which is like a traditional um, Filipino dish that has soy sauce vinegar, bay leaf, black peppercorns and garlic but I'm changing that and basically adding tamari and sambal olek and then coconut palm sugar, uh, star anise. So I'm balancing out flavors by introducing sweet, sour, spicy, and salty. Um, and then instead of like pr- uh, usually a protein of chicken, pork, or beef, I'm doing a mataki mushrooms or portobello mushrooms that's marinated in the my adobo uh, marinade. I'm doing uh, a Beagle Express cauliflower. Beagle Express is like uh, it's a region in the Philippines where you it's I can't remember what region, but like it's a region where like they use a lot of spices. 
uh, beagle, I think. And uh, it's a it's a coconut um, stew that has fermented shrimp paste, uh, which I love eating growing up. Um, but I'm not doing shrimp paste, but I'm adding in Thai chilies and also adding fish sauce into the coconut um, sort of stew-like, but it's instead of pork, it's cauliflower. Um, and we're going to have like, you know, uh, fragrant rice. Usually, traditionally, you have jasmine rice, but I'm incorporating other spices like bay leaf, kefir lime that's cooked in rice. And then there's also cloves and cardamom and cinnamon stick and star anise that's infused into the rice so that like when we lay out the rice on the banana leaf you sort of get this whiff of you know different smells of spices in the air uh and then we have pancet which is like a noodle dish um it's like an everyday noodle dish that filipinos eat a lot um but I'm I'm going to be making it with mung bean noodles and adding a lot of like really interesting radishes like purple ninja radish, uh, watermelon radish, daikon. Traditionally, pancet has like pork, shrimp, carrots, and celery and garlic and onions. But I'm adding a sauce to it which has like maple syrup and tamari and and ginger. Um, so it's 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 a it's a, a lot of flavors and there's also like I going to put like pickled bitter melon like bitter melon growing up i hated as a kid my grandmother made this dish and it's with pork uh not pork but beef and egg and i just basically ate around the bitter melon just eat the egg and the beef and it was so bitter i was like ugh, i just couldn't stand it and then so this year i kind of like was thinking about bitter melon and how i'm going to like not make it so bitter so i started to pickle them and then i think I succeeded and it has you know it's it has a brine of like coconut uh coconut vinegar and then there's Thai chilies and garlic and obviously uh sugar and water and then you kind of like take away some of that bitterness out of the bitter melon and then it's kind of like sweet and sour and slightly bitter so it's going to be amazing I I'm really excited about this dinner and what is it about the format of uh, eating with your hands that that is important or why why is that uh, the focus uh it's basically like you know when i was researching what kamayan dinner is and and it goes into detail uh, how you know like when this when the philippines was occupied by the spaniards they were like they let us they let the people ate with their hands freely and then when the um when the united states Take it, took over the, not took over the Philippines, but my history might be wrong. But they were trying to assimilate the Filipino people to 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 utilize uh, utensils to get them to acclimate into uh, their their way of culture. Um, and eating with that for me, like eating with your hands, was it's more intimate and and the only tools that we can actually utilize and we use our hands a lot so um it's it's just more natural thing like i mean i don't know like thousands i don't know like maybe adam and eve maybe i'm just going off my the charts right now because <laughs> of tequila that i'm drinking but you ate with your hands in the beginning like yeah. there was no fork and spoons like when eve grabbed that apple like what is she using her hands to eat that freaking apple <laughs> yeah but <laughs> i've been doing a lot of research recently into uh, psychology of food and various i've read a whole bunch of books on it in the last couple of months uh-huh. and 
uh, one of the things that comes up a lot is how people physically engage, tangibly engage with their food. And all these studies that show like when the fork is heavier, mm. you think the food is, is more calorie dense, it's richer, it's, it's more, uh, more indulgent. Uh-huh. Uh, but that eating with your hands across the board is m- more fun. People yes. seem to enjoy their food more. Mm. There's something about the, the tactile sensation of, of touching your food yes. with your fingers before you put it in your mouth. Yes. I, I, it's you know like but that's why the combined dinner like when you there's different components and you're touching and you're dipping and and you're discovering new th- textures using your hand and then when you put it in your mouth it's like yeah it's a bit more fun and and it's a little intimidating first because like where's my spoon and fork that's like the first thing you think of but like then when you actually start to like break that you know barrier of of that thing with a spoon and fork then you like go into it then becomes like oh it's not so bad like it's actually much more fun to eat with your hands and we Um, all have certain cuisines you know like a burger and fries right you're always gonna eat with your hands or pizza you eat with your hands right and then obviously ethiopian food and other cuisines that that sort of encourage that even in a new york city restaurant setting uh so then it's just a question of pushing people to do Uh, it in other other places also so when they ask me like oh so how do you eat this i'm like like well, how do you eat a hamburger, or how do you eat a chip? Yeah. Like you, you pick. <laughs> it, it's just you ba- pick it up with your fingers and put it in your mouth. What's right, the exactly. I think they just don't understand. Like I think there's a a disconnect, and then when they actually do it, it's like, oh, it's not so bad after all. Yeah. But like you, yeah, it's yeah. kind of crazy. Um, we're gonna get to our rapid fire cool. segment in a couple of minutes, but I do want to ask uh, before we do. Um, you've had these events where you've been able to to talk about your identity through mm. your cooking. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that in the day-to-day of running a catering company? How do you balance the tension between wanting to express yourself creatively, but also there's a customer and the customer has made certain requests mm-hmm. or has certain standards or, or yep. whatever? Yep. Uh, how do you bring those two together? Uh, you know, I in the kitchen, and, and I was just listening to the commercial um, <laughs> <laughs> about the, the space that you create. <clears throat> and luckily for me, I am able to work with people that I want to work with. And usually that's queer and mostly women um, that I feel more comfortable with. And I like to just enjoy having fun. Um, And when I heard depression in that commercial, I'm like, I'm not really depressed, but it's basically you create that I've created this culture in my own space, along with my friends that I share a kitchen with that like we embrace like, different types of people like whether like that person's queer or trans like I have managed to work work with different types of people and I feel more comfortable aligned with them and um so that's kind of like and then when like we do events like I make sure like I have I work with people that I want to work with and I feel comfortable with so that I can excel and then they feel like they're doing something really they're excelling in that their own their job and we're doing you know this amazing event and seeing like seeing having them see a different side of like catering and how it can be if not be so um i don't know like depressing so that's kind of like how i created <laughs> a culture like where it should be fun and it should be creative and um and i really i think i try to strive for that how low the standards are in our industry that yeah. that it's remarkable to create a, a work environment that's well, fun and not depressing well, well no, no I, I i i didn't have a traditional path going yeah. to um in 
in food. So I, you know, when I go to see at a restaurant, like if it's male, mostly male dominated, I'm kind of like out of place, uh, which is totally fine. I'm not totally fine, but like I just feel out of place because I'm like, oh, I can't be like super freeing and loud and like obnoxious and, and, and you know, like laughing a joke. But like when I go to like a, like a, a restaurant setting, there's a different, there's, a, there's, there's a, there is a difference um, in culture. I, I don't know that that's kind of like how I see it. I'm, I'm so new to this industry and I see sort of the, the difference. So, um, and I'm fortunate that I'm happy at in the kitchen and I'm creating and working alongside with really creative people yeah all right let's do some fun questions cool. all right, um, ready. if you could be a vegetable what vegetable would you be um a purple ninja radish a purple tell us tell us more <laughs> yeah so a purple i i discovered it through natura um and i was like wow this is such a vibrant purple color and it's royal and it's like it's spicy um and it's such just beautiful just to look at when you just when I'm either like it looks kind of like boring when you get it it's like purple on the outside but when you actually start mandolining mandolin the radish you get this sort of like you know fluorescent purple and and it's when you eat it and put it in your mouth it's like wow it's spicy but it's so good why why is that representative of you? Uh, me because I'm spicy and I'm so good <laughs> and I'm royal <laughs> alright that works um what is one kitchen tool that you could not live without? Um, you could only you have you get one kitchen tool to use for kitchen, the rest of your life. What is uh, it? Man, mm. no, I, I wouldn't. I, I, I like that answer. Go I ahead. like mandolin because it 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 cuts uniformly thinly. Mm. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that's yeah. But that's, you had something else that you were gonna say. I was gonna say a chef's knife from Material Kitchen, but like that's, from Material Kitchen. <laughs> I know, like, shout out to Material so, Kitchen. So yeah, I mean they, uh, they they do. I mean that's like the knife that I use. I'm like I know that there's some great other knives, but like I'm 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 literally like tried and true material eight inch knife kitchen yeah no yeah. we had Eunice and dan material I kitchen on the podcast a few months that. ago and uh, yeah they make great yeah. great knives yeah i was the chef's knife is probably the single most common answer yes. we get yeah. to that question not surprisingly uh but nobody has said a mandolin before so uh, just watch for your fingers when you actually use it yeah I, i've I, had some really horrible stories mandolin feels like one of those like uh, dividing lines amateur versus professional mm, it's it's one of those yes. tools that professionals use a lot yes. and and f and are very useful, yes. but that amateur cooks either don't know about or or no. are scared to or use. scared to use it because because um, fingertips. You're like, you're like, I mean, I'm not using that top thing to pressure the vegetable on it, but I just use my bare hands, and then you just because you're just feeling like you know because you do it a lot. You yeah, know, exactly. you know how it works. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, um, how about uh, the best meal you've ever eaten that cost under five or ten bucks? Um, probably at this um, Vietnamese restaurant in Hole in the Wall. It's not probably not Hole in the Wall. It's like on Grand Street. Um, I like their pho and their grilled pork chop. Um, it's what's it's, the name of the restaurant? I can't remember. Oh, um, come on! It's it's on best it, meal you've ever had, and it's on Grand Street, and you don't remember the name of the I restaurant? Just, I just know where exactly where it's located. <laughs> I just it's on Grand Street between um, Bowery and um, I think. Ooh, Hester? No, not Hester. Uh, I just can't is remember. It, it's east of Bowery or west of Bowery? Uh, it's going towards the Manhattan Bridge. So what? West of Bowery. West of Bowery. Um, it's it's like located across the street from like a fish market, and so I it's it's 
the only place that is close enough for a good Vietnamese restaurant mm. that all over because I grew up in California in Los Angeles and there was a lot of Vietnamese food in my neighborhood so there was some really good Vietnamese food in in home so this particular location in on Grand between Bowery I can't remember the other name it's really good mm. um their pho is really good I can't remember the price but it's probably around under ten dollars and their pork chops on the side is probably like five dollars it's really good um, if you could uh, relocate to any time and place in human history, what would that be? Ooh, that's a good question. Time and place? Yeah, like an era, a uh, uh, country. Uh, like... and, oh, like an era and like so. Um, okay, so era. I don't. Um, this is a really interesting one. I couldn't live anywhere else. Uh, time timeline because that's cool that's a that's a totally valid answer yeah right like, now is where you want to be yeah I, yeah because like i'm free and in in reading history like couldn't be free if you're a queer person so you have to hide so i need to be living here now being able to be myself yeah all right um, yeah in new york good answer um we usually ask what you eat for what you ate for lunch as a kid, but I feel like we already covered that. Yeah, it was adobo did. and, and yeah. uh, goat stew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, very interesting, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Amanda, you have any uh, any questions you want to jump in? I'm on my own this week. It's always yeah. hard to. Oh, oh. I think I do. Would you? Do you have any recommendations for people who haven't tried Filipino food? Mm, good question. Yes. Besides, besides just like chicken and uh, Yes. Yeah, so you know. T- 10, 10 years ago when I moved, um, I think Maharlika came about, mm-hmm. um, and then unfortunately it just closed, yeah. sadly. Um, and But they still have Jipni. Um, and then there's also Purple Yam, which I haven't gone to. And then I watched this documentary called Ulam and basically spotlighted different um, Filipino um, chefs and movers and shakers in trying to um, make Filipino food. Um, present uh, and Purple Yam was one of them and it, it and that's one place I really wanted to go and try it's in Flatbush somewhere um, and then there's this place in Queens called Tito Rads it's basically like um, exactly what I would remember eating as a kid um, traditional Filipino food um, it just brings me back to my grandmother's kitchen so there's a whole stretch on Roosevelt Avenue yes. in Queens in the between like, what is it like 67th Street and 71st Street or 72nd Street where yes. there's it's just Filipino yep. restaurant after Filipino yep. restaurant and a lot of re- uh, regional very specific. Yes. Uh, Tito Rads is, Rads is, 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 is there. It's there, um, and that's kind of like what. I go to when I'm feeling um, homesick. Mm. Yeah, I'm I'm lucky enough to live in Jackson Heights. So I'm oh, like great. a 15 minute walk from <laughs> that whole uh, that whole stretch of restaurants. Yeah. Uh, so you're lucky. I mean, I if I'm feeling homesick, I'm like oh, it's so far. Yeah. But I like I if I do really need to feel like home, I go there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Waldy, thank you so much for Very joining welcome. us. Tell our listeners where they can find out more about you, about yep. your work, where they can book your catering company yeah, if um, they're feeling so hungry. So if you guys can go follow me on Instagram at Waldy Cucina. Um, Cucina means kitchen in Tagalog. Uh, K-U-S-I-N-A. Uh, you can find me there and then you, if you want a catering And Waldy is W-O-L-D-Y. W-O-L-D-Y. Yes. Um, sounds like moldy, but Waldy. <laughs> um, and then 
Um, the Carmine dinner that's happening at the Maid Hotel starts at January 21st. It's on a Tuesday from 7 to 10. It goes through to March. It's two nights a month. And you can purchase tickets through Resi at, at the Ferris um that's the restaurant at the Maid Hotel. Um, you'll probably find more information through my Instagram. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of it. Cool. Great. Uh, well, thanks for joining us. As always, um, you can reach us, Valerie and myself, uh, via our email address, which is yfood at heritageradionetwork.org. You can reach me via my spice company, Burlap and Barrel, at Burlap and Barrel on Instagram, or Ethan at burlapandbarrel.com. Uh, Valerie is at Foodie in New York on Instagram, uh, and her blog is also Foodie in New York. Um, thanks to Amanda, our awesome sound engineer and uh, last-minute questioner, and to uh, the Red Crickets for our theme song, which is Blind. This is our last episode of the season, and also a great time for some end-of-year fundraising. Oh. So if anybody feels like donating to this amazing uh, nonprofit organization I know called Heritage Radio Network... Uh, keep keep the lights on. Keep the mics hot. Keep yeah. the the okay. conversations flowing. Mm. Uh, HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Click on the heart on the top right corner of your screen and make a little donation. Why the hell not? What else yeah. are you using you that should. money for? Um, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll see you in January. Thanks. Happy for holidays. Listening. Food is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.